0: George, age 92, and Jane, age 89, are all excited about their decision to uh, get married. So they go on a stroll out in the neighborhood area to discuss their wedding plans. (laughs) And on the way, they pass a drugstore. The elderly couple enters the store where George um, speaks to the owner George says, hey, w- we're about to get married, um, and I want to ask you, do you sell heart medication here? <laughs> the owner says, well, well, of course, yeah, we do. Um, George says, well, how about support hose to help with uh, poor circulation? <laughs> owner says, oh, well, definitely. Well, how about medication for rheumatism and osteoporosis and Arthritis? Do you sell that here? <laughs> uh, owner says, "Well, all kinds of medicine." Well, how about uh, waterproof furniture covers um, and, and depends. Well, yeah, we sell that. Well, how about eye drops and sleeping pills and geritol and insure? Well, absolutely. He goes, "Do you sell wheelchairs and uh, walkers and canes here?" <laughs> and the owner says, "Well, all kinds and sizes." <laughs> But, but tell me, why are you asking me all of these questions? George smiles proudly and announces, "Well, we'd like to use your store as our bridal registry. <laughs> Isn't it great to have expectations? <laughs> uh, we all have expectations, don't we? And there are certain e- events, you know, that uh, w- w- we love looking forward to." Get all, all excited about. Maybe you're like me, and um, um, you've been looking forward to today. You've been looking forward to Easter. Maybe since last year, uh, when w- we couldn't gather together, yeah, you know, at Easter time. Maybe you have been looking forward to today. Or maybe you're anticipating getting your COVID vaccination shot, <laughs> and you just... You just can't wait. You're looking forward to it. Or maybe you're hoping things will get back to normal, uh, more normal this summer, and you're looking forward to taking a, a fun uh, summer vacation, you know, gathering together uh, with family and friends, getting some extended time away. See, dreaming of w- what's next. Um, And having hope for the future, I I mean, that's exciting. It's fun. Looking ahead is is enjoyable. Expectations, they provide life with spice, don't they? But what happens when those expectations are dashed? When those dreams are crushed, what happens? As Jesus' followers woke up on that first Easter morning, I got to tell you, They woke up and all of their expectations were crushed. None of them, as they went down to breakfast, had even the slightest glimmer of any hope. They had watched while the sky had turned black. They had witnessed the cruel torture of the one they had been following so closely and listening to their Lord. They had seen him slump into unconsciousness and then die there on that cross. They had watched it all happen. No, see, their expectations, all their expectations that they had been counting on and hoping for, they were now out the window. Their hopes had been shattered. That's the mood that we find at the end of Luke chapter 23. I invite you to turn with me to Luke. Once again, the gospel of Luke, chapter 23. If you have your Bibles or you can find it maybe on your phone app, <laughs> the end, the last two verses of Luke 23. Look, at, look with me at what it says here. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid, and then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandments. These women, a a group of them, we're not sure exactly how many uh, they were. They had seen Jesus' horrible death, and now what they do is they follow his body where it was taken down from the cross and where it was laid there in that tomb. They trailed behind and watched all this take place with no hope. Their Jesus was dead. And the only hope they had left was to honor his body with the proper anointing um, after the Sabbath. Sabbath. Take a moment, just put yourselves in their places. Can you you experience the hopelessness, (laughs) their expectations having been crushed? Luke, in fact, gives us at least three of the names of these women. There was Mary Magdalene, a woman who had been set free by Christ from seven demons. There was also um, Joanna, whose husband held a powerful position in Herod's household, And then there was Mary, (laughs) the mother of James. And those three women and some others, uh, evidently, they came to that tomb on that first day of the week. In fact, look with me at chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. You have to understand, put yourself in their positions. Their lives had been totally Turned upside down. Um, their lives had been turned upside down originally by Jesus as they followed him. They'd been changed. But now this Jesus, the one they had followed, was dead. And as they came to that tomb on that early Sunday morning, no doubt they wore dark sackcloth over their souls. They were depressed, they were exhausted. They were in mourning, grieving, with no hope whatsoever. In fact, the gospel, uh, gospel of Mark, Mark tells us that what was on their minds as they were heading toward the tomb was how they were going to get into Jesus' tomb. They were wondering how in the world they are going to get that large stone rolled away from Jesus' tomb so they could properly take care of Jesus' body. You see, it was like they were going to the graveyard with flowers. And when you go to a graveyard with flowers, you are not hoping for a resurrection. Now, if you had been, have been with us uh, as we have been going through the Gospel of Luke this past year, you, you might think, why? I mean, you, you might think this is puzzling. And the reason why is because over and over again, as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, we we have seen Jesus telling his followers that he was going to uh, be killed. And then on the third day, he was going to be raised from the dead. In fact, Scripture records him telling his disciples that three times. Look with me. In fact, what the angels uh, remind these women. Look with me down at um, uh, verse six, middle of verse six. It says the angel says, "Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified. On the third day, rise." And they remembered his words. Catch that verse eight. <laughs> and they remembered his words. They had heard Jesus say it. They had heard him promise that he would be raised on the third day. So if Jesus had repeated that over and over and over again, the fact that he will be raised from the dead, why in the world are they coming to this tomb now with flowers? Because evidently, see, Jesus' words had not registered. They came to that tomb... Full of love for Jesus, but vacant of faith. Do you realize that that's possible? We can have a great love for Jesus and at the same time have no faith. These women believed in Christ's cause. They had this deep affection for Christ, but as the trauma of of Calvary overwhelmed them, their faith was shown to have disappeared, have vanished. San Jose Mercury News years ago um, included the following item in their News of the Weird column. James Kelly, listen to this. James Kelly of Washington, D.C. is one of a small group at his local church who are enthusiastic Episcopalians, but who do not believe in God. Said Kelly, we all love the incense, the stained glass windows, the organ music, the vestments, and all of that. I mean, it's drama. It's aesthetic. It's the ritual. That's neat stuff. I don't want to give all that up just because... I don't believe in God. (laughs) See, today I think there's a lot of people who have this deep affection for the things of God, but yet find it hard to believe. They're drawn to the church. Maybe they're even uh, drawn to Christ, but they have experienced great sadness uh, through a personal tragedy, and in their darkness they have stopped believing Maybe you are here this morning and that's your situation. Maybe you're watching online and you find yourself in that place. You've seen unspeakable suffering. You've experienced a a personal tragedy uh, in your life, maybe lost a loved one or have gone through some hard things, and you, like like these women, simply cannot come to terms with it. In the darkness, in the, in the difficulty, in, in the pain, your faith has been extinguished. And all that is left is this, this affection for Christ. Oh, you still come to church, well, at least once in a while, well, at least on Easter. <laughs> because there's still this, this love for Jesus in your soul, but you've lost your hope. You've lost your faith. That was the position of these women as they arrived at the tomb on that first Easter morning. But then, but then things turned. Then they discovered the surprise of their life. The tomb was empty. I mean, look at the reaction starting in verse 2, chapter 24. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The women, they're lost. They're stymied by this. They're filled with perplexity. They go into that tomb and the body's no longer there and they has have no idea what's taken place. The empty tomb has left them just wondering. Now it's important for us, I think, to understand here <laughs> um, that they did not immediately jump to the conclusion that Jesus had risen from the dead. The idea of Jesus being resurrected, that wasn't um, even in the picture. I mean, it was beyond their wildest dreams. When they found that body missing, think about this. Mary doesn't turn to the other women and say, hey, hey, I have this feeling that he must have risen from the dead. (laughs) And Joanna didn't respond, you know, you know, I have that same feeling too. I, I think you're right. In fact, That thought never occurred to them, even though Jesus had told them that that's what would happen. (laughs) So, how did they discover that Jesus had been resurrected? Well, simple, really. God told them. Look at the rest. Um, Look at verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. See, God goes to two of his angels and says, Hey, listen, guys, I need you to go down and I need you to tell them what I've done. These women, they, they love my son, but there's no way in the world that they're ever going to be able to figure out what's happened. <laughs> so I need you to go down and, and tell them What's happened? So suddenly these two angels appear, and uh, uh, appearing like men in clothes that are gleamed like lightning, they, they show up in this graveyard, and they announce the greatest news ever heard: "He has risen. He has risen." <laughs> See, a Christian person is a person who comes to believe in God's explanation of God's actions. A Christian faith rests entirely on grasping and believing what God tells us he has done. Think about it. When the Virgin Mary conceived a child, there was no way she would have known what was happening to her. So what did God do? He sent an angel to explain it to her. Same thing with Joseph, right? And it's the same for these women here at the tomb. They would never have come up with this idea on their own. God had to tell them. The Christian faith, he doesn't rest on feelings or or impulses or or personal insights. No, it it is believing God's explanation of events given to us in Scripture. He has risen. (laughs) I mean, what an unbelievable, wonderful explanation, don't you think? You say, but, but Sutton, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, what's the significance of God's explanation, he has risen? I mean, why is that the greatest news ever? Well, let me give you three reasons this morning. First, he has risen, it's the greatest news ever told, because it means that death has been defeated See, from the first sin in the Garden of Eden, death has been relentless. And death has taken, uh, has been like a, a, a tyrant exercising a reign, uh, terror of, over the human race. Nobody can escape it, everybody <laughs> is subject to it. According to uh, columnist Cecil Adams, of the 15 people who have attempted to go over the Niagara Falls, 10 of them have survived going over at Niagara Falls. The first person to attempt the feat on October 24, 1901, was a woman, Annie Edison, Edson Taylor, a plump 63-year-old schoolteacher who claimed to be in her early 40s. <laughs> she used a four-and-a-half-foot oak barrel packed with inflated pillows, a mattress, and an anvil for ballast. Her ride was fairly uneventful, they said, apart from the fact that she plunged roughly 170 feet over the falls in the middle of it. She was fished out 75 minutes after she'd gone in, bruising and shaken, but still alive. And she reportedly told onlookers, no one ever ought to do that again. (laughs) Makes sense. But even those who stared death in the face by going over Niagara Falls Um, and live, they couldn't cheat uh, death forever. Take, for example, Bobby Leach, who went over the falls in a steel barrel in 1911. The first man to go over the falls, he survived only to die 15 years later after slipping on an orange peel in Christchurch, New Zealand. (laughs) You go over the falls, you're okay. You slip on an orange peel and you die. Who would have ever thought, huh? I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. Even if you've survived Niagara Falls, death has won every time. That is until Jesus Christ. Death could not keep its hold on him. And the result is the power of death for those who are in Christ. That power is broken. Apostle Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 15. Where he says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Listen to this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? (laughs) See, Jesus, friends, defeats death. What looked like victory for death and a defeat for us in the end is utterly reversed so that death dies in absolute defeat and our bodies live again in absolute victory. Jesus' resurrection has changed death's nature so that when you and I come to that moment, as followers of Christ, it will be like going through a passage that leads right into the presence of God. We don't need to fear death anymore. Christ has died and risen again. He has taken the sting for us. He has defeated death. Reason number 1. Second. Those words, he has risen is the greatest news ever because it means that the whole person will be redeemed. See, the message of Easter is not simply that Jesus is alive. <laughs> I mean, that's true, of course, but the message of Easter, it tells us much more than that. The message of Easter is that Jesus has risen. Now, think about the difference. The Son of God was alive in heaven before he ever took human flesh, right? He was not only alive, but he was actively engaged in the work of the Godhead. The Son of God has life in himself, and nobody can take it from him. That was all true of him before he took human flesh and became a man. So why did the Son of God not simply leave the crucified body in the tomb and return to the Father? You ever ask that question? After all, it was merely flesh and bone, right? Why did he bother with it? I mean, the angels could have appeared to those women there on Easter morning and said, now look, look, his body's in the tomb, yes, but you don't need to worry about it because he is um, right now with his Father in heaven. I mean, that's what we say about believers at funerals, don't we? We bury the body and we say, but the body's not here. They are with their Father in heaven. But see, the message of Easter, friends, the message of Easter is not just that Jesus is alive, but that is that Christ has risen. In fact, look with me just a little bit later in chapter 24 here of Luke. Jesus appears to his disciples. Look at what it says about his resurrected body. Verse 38, 24, verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet? That it is myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. (laughs) When Jesus appears to his disciples, their their first response was to think they're seeing a ghost. But then Jesus points to his hands and his feet that still have their holes from being crucified, from the nails. He was flesh and, and bones. And when Christ ascends to the Father, it was not just a part of Christ that ascended, but rather the whole of Christ, his mind, his soul, spirit, and body that ascended. When Christ returns in glory and gathers all of his people um, into his presence, every believer will be there. And they will not only be there in mind, but also in body. See, the resurrection of Jesus tells us that heaven's not just some kind of a spiritual experience. Heaven's not a virtual tour that's played out in the mind. But rather, the whole of you will be redeemed and enter into heaven. He has risen. He is risen means that death has been defeated. It also means that the whole person will be redeemed. And third, those words, he is risen, means that we will all be changed. When the body of Jesus was was raised, it was changed. I mean, Christ's flesh was raised, but it was also transformed. Understand that. So that... It would be ready for eternity. That was something that had never happened before, right? Remember in Scripture, there's uh, examples, right, of dead people coming back to life. Uh, uh, For example, in the New Testament, there's Jairus' daughter. There is um, the son of the widow of Nain. There is also Lazarus. All of them brought back to life by the power of Jesus. I mean, those are awesome miracles. But see... (laughs) Lazarus came out of the tomb exactly as he had gone into it. And after he was raised from the dead, catch this, his body continued the aging process from that point on. (laughs) And then down the road some years later, this poor fellow had to go through the whole uh, miserable business of dying again. (laughs) For Lazarus and Jairus' daughter and the widow's death, death had been delayed but it hadn't been defeated. But when Christ was raised, think about this. His body was no longer subject to aging or to sickness or to death. The resurrection body is not subject to any disability or to any cancer or uh, COVID-19 um, you know, uh, virus at all. Jesus' body was his flesh, but it was transformed, and it was adapted for eternity. That's the glorious future that awaits every Christian believer. In fact, Paul tells us in Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, catch this, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will... Be like his glorious body. Amen. God, see, has not prepared some type of compensation package um, like a reduced pension plan for those who are unable to continue life on this earth. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem the whole of you, body and soul, and in the resurrection, he will adapt your body, even as he is preparing your soul for eternal life, in his presence. See, that's the significance of those three words on that early morning, when the angel says to those women, he has risen. The resurrection of Christ, see, it remakes the face of death for all of his people. It gives those of us who are in Christ an everyday hope, day-to-day hope even in the face of a crisis, even in the face of a storm. A number of years ago, Becky and I received an Easter card from some friends of ours uh, from one of our former churches that we served in. The fall before that particular Easter, this couple's one of their sons, um, who had been in our youth group when we were serving there, But by the time this took place, uh, um, he was now a young man in his early 20s. This young man, their son, had died in a a plane accident. I want to read you a portion of what they wrote on their, their card that they sent. They wrote this, As a person who tends to be rather objective in his view of things, I appreciate the position the Apostle Paul takes Uh, stakes out when writing about the meaning of life and death. It comes down to one test, one space and time, blood and gore reality, either Jesus Christ really lived and really died and really rose from the really dead, or he didn't. It's not about creating my own reality. What I think or how I feel has no bearing on reality. If the wind is blowing, I can deny it. I can enjoy it. I can cower at it. I can even curse it. No matter. It just keeps blowing. On a quiet Sunday evening last September, a storm rose up out of nowhere and ripped across our lives. A storm took with it one of our dearest gifts, our son, Elliot, and left in its path a trail of rubble and tears. We've hurt, we've cried, and we've wondered as we've stared in the darkness we have not cursed the storm, nor the God who created it. We say this not with pride or even determination, but simply with gratitude. For the one who gave us Elliot also gave us Jesus. God watched as his own perfect son was spit upon, cursed, laughed at, beaten to a shredded mass, and then hung by spikes to die slowly as a criminal. However, two days later, he was alive. Really Alive going for walks, eating fish, showing his wounds, maybe even running. <laughs> Which explains the reason for our hope today and tomorrow. We don't know what Elliot is up to right now and we will carry a deep hurt our whole lives. But we do know that Elliot is present with Jesus, the risen Lord. And that someday we will once again enjoy his warm smile and gentle hugs and quiet humor only because of the one who died in our place and will raise from the dead all those who long for his appearing. He is risen indeed. Friends, I gotta tell you, that's the greatest news ever heard. I wanna invite you, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching the live stream, I'm going to ask you right now just to bow your heads because I want to allow God to take some time and speak with each one of you. I want you to listen to God. This morning as I share this good news with you, I have to ask you, what will you do with those words from God? He is risen. Let me ask you, do you know the risen Lord? Is yours more than just a a love for him, but a real trust in him and his word? The God, see, who has taken the sting out of death, who promises you and me a resurrected body, who is offering you an eternal life. He wants a relationship with you, a real relationship with you. And i got to ask, if you've never said yes to God, what is stopping you today from trusting him? If this morning you are ready to accept his invitation, you can simply pray this prayer. Dear gracious Lord, I want to receive by faith what you offer to me in Jesus Christ. Please forgive me of my sins. I need you. I give you my life and my heart. Help me to live for your glory until Jesus returns. In Jesus' name, amen.